not just with your ears and your head today, but would you hear with your heart with me some beautiful truth from Scripture? Very important, very helpful, and also very risky texts of Scripture that we'll be preaching through together today. Does anybody know the two things that you are taught never to bring up at the dinner table when you have guests coming to hang out with you? Your infatuation with Brad Paisley and the fact that you watch Cougar Town. Do not ever mention either of those things. In addition to those two anathemas, there is religion and there is politics. You just don't go there, stay far away, and talk about anything else but those two things. Well, this morning, welcome. We will be talking about both out loud, together, at the same time. Um, We're doing that because... We're learning through the biblical book of Proverbs, and most of the wisdom given to us by the Spirit of God was through Solomon, who was not only a sage, but was also the king of Israel. He was a governor. He was a ruler. He was a political authority. And much of the wisdom in the book of Proverbs is written to younger men who would have been raised at court at that time, preparing themselves to lead as civil authorities in the life of God's people. So there's a lot of beautiful wisdom in here about what government is, what it should look like, how it should function, what a governor is, and how they are called to do their thing. So we wouldn't go through this whole series without hitting on this topic at least one time together. Even though we don't live in the Middle East in 700 BC in the older covenant theocratic nation of Israel, even though there is no king like Solomon in authority in your life, you do realize that political civil authority is an important and intense reality in your existence. Um, Drive home from Seven Mile Road today and what are you going to see in everyone's lawns, on everyone's fences, on all the billboards? political advertisements. November is election month in these United States. Election day is coming. And these candidates want you to know who they are so that you will elect them to be an authority over you, govern you. You live under civil governmental authority and you can't escape its reaches, right? I mean, just taking a left turn to get out of here today When you hit the corner of Charles and Highland Avenue, you will see a traffic light, a stop sign, crosswalks, double yellows, and speed limits. All of those things have been placed there by who? By civil authority. And all of those things are demanding your obedience. You cannot go an inch without being confronted with this reality. And so a very important question becomes, what would it look like for us to think well and respond well to government, to civil authority. Solomon, along with King David and the Apostle Paul, all under the inspiration and care of the Spirit, are going to help us today. A couple things before we start. First of all, this is a huge topic, as they would say, huge. And so we're not going to try in one sermon to hit the breath of everything that you would need to know here. I am not pretending today to take an exhaustive look at this. There's going to be a lot that goes left unsaid. For example, we will not talk about the folly, talk about folly in a minute, the folly of equating 
the government of these United States with the kingdom of Jesus, which is a prominent folly in our day. Have you gotten these letters in the mail with eagles and Bibles and Liberty Bells and Jesus and George Washington and everything is convoluted, which is which? We could hit on that folly. Maybe we will someday. Not going to touch that at all today. Also not going to deal with the right place, biblically informed of civil disobedience, but there is a time for that in some extreme places. Again, talking much more generally, not hitting on everything today. Uh, the second thing is that you've got to stick with me to the end, right? In some of these, as we get rolling, there's some points where you may want to hit the eject button uh, and pretend you've got to go take a, uh, spend some time in the bathroom. Just <laughs> stick with me today. Give me a chance to roll to the end of this because these sermons take a little while to get where they're going. Um, and this is an intense one, like I said, religion, politics, explosion. So I want to do this well and for God's glory and, and be helpful to you as a pastor. Okay, before we re- read the text, I'll actually recite it to you. Again, short Proverbs. Let me start with a story. Last summer, the park at the bottom of our hill was under construction by the government of our city. And the whole field was fenced off with very clear signs, big ones, that said, do not enter. But inside the fence was the greatest dirt pile that you have ever seen in your life. I mean, three stories high, two different tiers to it. The boys and I were walking to play basketball. We saw the dirt pile, and all of our mouths just opened and tongues rolled out, and we could not resist. So we snuck around the back of the fence, climbed a tree, hopped over the fence, and uh, I let my boys conquer that dirt pile. Uh, For 20 minutes, they were kings of of the entire world as far as they could tell. Until a police cruiser came blasting up the street, jumped onto the sidewalk, and two cops jumped out and yelled at us to get out. And so we got on our stomachs and crawled under the front of the fence. um, And two two cops were there. And the older cop, who is a representative of government a civil authority in my life living in that city, he began to dress me down in front of my boys, naturally. And as I was quietly listening to his speech and looking him in the eye and modeling respect for authority externally for my boys to see, here's what was going on in my head. Give me a break. I have two boys Did you really expect me not to climb that hill with them? It's a giant dirt pile, man. See? (laughs) Relax. Melrose cops, don't you have a detail to go work? Don't you have some criminals to go bust? Don't you know about the drug problem with teenagers in our city? Why don't you and Hutch go do something about that instead of bothering... (laughs) a law-abiding citizen dad who's actually spending time with his sons. Okay. Now, I didn't say a word of those things because arrest you was part of his <laughs> spiel, but that was what was going on in my head and in my heart. And here's the question today. It's been weighing on me this week. My response, my disdaining of, my belittling of that civil authority is that wisdom or is that folly? 
Today, I think you're clearly going to see that it, it is folly that I have to deal with and we have to deal with. And that as redeemed saints of God who will one day live under the perfect authority of King Jesus forever, we are not to belittle civil authorities that he has given to our lives, but we are to honor them and appreciate them for the good that they do. So that's a thesis. Let's see if we get there. Uh, Brent opened reading the words of King David, and then he also read the words of the Apostle Paul. I'm going to give you some inspired scripture from the pen of King Solomon. Two Proverbs, both similar, both casting a really beautiful vision here of the grace of good government, as well as the troubling vision of the horrors of bad. So hear these with me. The first one is the Proverb 29.2. says this, When the righteous increase or are in authority, the people rejoice. But when the wicked rule, the people groan or they mourn. And then a similar one, the Proverb 28.12. When the righteous triumph, rise to power, there is great glory. But when the wicked rise, people hide themselves. Let's pray. Father, we're a people who long to do this authority thing well. Our hearts are so wicked and rebellious and we want to be God. And so we struggle with it. Me first. I pray that the Holy Spirit would come bring grace today. Sanctify us by your truth. Your word is truth. Help us to hear it and respond to it. It's our cry. You've heard me pray that this week for these people and these souls that I adore and have been called to lead. So come do the work that I can't do by your spirit, I pray. Amen. Okay, before we get to wisdom, let's do some folly together. You want to do some folly? There's a lot to go around here. What I'm going to do is start with one category of folly that I'm not really going to hit deeply on, but I want to give you that one because it's the reaction to that folly in the way opposite direction that is just as foolish, and that's where our texts are going to take us. So one category of folly when it comes to the realm of civil authority, and the one that you would expect me to be preaching on today because of where we live, is the uh, having way too high a view of government. We'll call this exalting government way beyond its place. This is Boston's folly in some very deep-seated ways. Boston and Cambridge and really this whole Commonwealth of Massachusetts looks to government for its joy, for its hope, for its security, for its prosperity, in some real ways, for its salvation. We have made a god of government in this culture. Every time I'm over at Park Street or the Common and I see the golden dome of the state house, I just go, yes, there it is, a giant, multi-roomed, HVAC'd idol. It is huge. Our political affiliations, our political understandings, our political officers, our political leanings, our political platforms, they are sacred to us. You guys live here with me and you feel this, right? We really do look to government to be a savior, to make things right. Government will meet all of our needs. Government will ensure our joy. Government will heal us or at least pay for our health care. Government will feed us, or at least give us summer free lunch programs on their dime. S government obviously will teach our children. 
Government will provide recreation for us, government parks, government pools. Government will define marriage for us, rightly. Government will defend us from the telemarketers. You seen that legislation? Government will make sure that our food is processed safely. I could talk until Tuesday with all the things that we have given over to the powers of government. It is a God unto us. Because of that, we like our government how? Big. Really big. Really, really, really big. It is not humanly possible to add another tax to the people of Massachusetts. Actually, I probably shouldn't say that out loud because that could be seen as a challenge. You, you pay a federal income tax. You pay a state income tax. You pay sales taxes on top of money that you've already, using money that you've already been taxed on, excise taxes, property taxes. Heaven forbid you smoke or play keno because we have sin taxes. Anything that moves, we tax it. Why? Because we need government big because we want government's hands in everything. We don't trust individuals. We don't trust other organizations. We don't trust God. In government, we trust. Okay, I could keep going and give some examples, but I'm, I'm, I'm not. Uh, we don't want a big God in Massachusetts. We want a big government. And that definitely is folly to give over to government the authority of God and the things that God says belong to him to look to civil authority to save us. You guys feel that, and you hear that, and you live that, and your checking account shows that. Okay. But that is not the folly that our texts hit on today. See, what our texts help us with is hitting on the folly of reacting to that Bostonian folly, which needs to be addressed. Maybe we'll do it someday in more depth. But responding to that folly of exalting government with what we'll call the folly of belittling government or despising civil authority, or seeing almost nothing good in it at all. And so having this attitude about it, the folly of treating civil authority the same exact way that my heart treated that police officer that day at that park. This folly comes to us in a few different packages. I want you to see them. Um, One is this aggressive thing that all government is necessarily evil. There's a Christian form of this. Men like Gregory Boyd write terrible books that I hope you don't read, or if you do, you don't believe, where they say things like, all government in all its forms is necessarily satanic. And so they go to Luke chapter 4, where Satan says to Jesus, the kingdoms of this world belong to me. And he believes Satan and assumes that Satan is right, and that all government is necessarily filled with satanic evil. And so for Christians, while we know that government will exist out there somewhere, you can't follow Jesus and participate in or embrace or honor government. And so if you love Jesus, you can't be a police officer. You can't be in the military. You can't defend your home. You can't defend your nation. Um, You can't do anything that would be in the powers of this world because they are fully and holy in every sense, evil and to be belittled. There's another version of that intense thing, which is explicitly not Christian. This is anarchy. You've heard that? The proponents of anarchy, let's eliminate all civil authority. This charge is usually led by the 19-year-old kid working at Spencer Gifts who just wants to smoke weed and not get in trouble for it. You know him? 
They have a very skeptical view of government, and they see it as necessarily completely evil, and the solution to bad government is no government at all. Every skateboarder for themselves. Anarchy. We were at the library a few weeks ago, and the kids were doing their thing, and I just grabbed the hardcover nonfiction recommendation off the book, off the shelf, read about 100 pages. It was a shock jock. I forget his name, but he hated police. Holy cow, he hated them. And he just railed for a whole chapter about cops, and he attached that word with a letter after E before every time he mentioned cops, and he was just venomous in there should be no authority at all. That folly, anarchy, all government is to be spit at and despised is a real sentiment in our hearts that we can flow to. Now, those are the extremes, but there is a more subtle form of this folly that I think is a threat for us in the life of our community. And that is maybe not to see government as necessarily satanic and evil and to be completely eradicated, but to belittle it as if there was really nothing good in it, and it's just a necessary evil in our lives. To say that while obviously we need some form of government to keep some kind of law and order, we really wish we didn't. And there's nothing ever redemptive about it. There is no glory to civil authority. We would uh, be much better off without it. We don't want it anywhere near our lives. And so it should be as tiny as possible and as far away from me as possible. That sentiment has gone by all different kinds of names in American history anyway. I think the most fitting one is when they were dubbed the, and they dubbed themselves, the leave us aloners. Can you hear the belittling in there? The disdain? Governors, stay away from me. You bring nothing good to the table I don't want you anywhere near my life. Now, what's interesting is that folks who have historically swung that way in reaction to the huge government folly usually come with two things in their hands. One is a gun, which makes sense, right? The other is a Bible. Usually that's who that crew is. I got my gun and I got my Bible and I don't want to submit to any civil authority. And yet today when we hear from our Bibles, which we'll do now, we hear a totally different refrain. And that is that civil authority is definitely not necessarily satanic and ruled by Satan, nor is it nothing more than a necessary evil, but it is a really helpful good that for a people to flourish, God intends for civil authority to play a role in that. That having almost any civil authority functioning and in place is a graceful gift from God. Just think of Mexico right now. You would not want to be there. And that when civil authority is actually wielded justly and rightly, there is a glory to it. So the scriptures are going to teach us together. Let's try and hear it. I'm going to deal with three different texts that cast this vision. Let's swim in these. The first is the wisdom of Proverbs, trying to reject folly and get wisdom. What does Solomon have to say about civil authority existing. Well, the first proverb that we read is really beautiful, and it says, when the righteous increase, or when the righteous move into places of authority over people, the people rejoice. And then when the wicked rule, 
the people grown. Okay, we have seen this kind of proverb before. Proverbial, typical, antithetical parallelism. Ooh, I just wanted to say that. In other words, short proverb says the same thing twice. Once to the positive, once to the negative. Um, What I want you to feel with me is the weight of the first line. When the righteous increase, the people rejoice. See, the proverb is not, if we could just get rid of all authority, then the people would rejoice. The proverb is not, there is no way for me to ever rejoice if there is a civil leader above me. The proverb is not, leave us alone, we don't want anyone governing us, then we will have joy. That's not what the scriptures say. The proverb is this, when the righteous increase or are in authority, when there is a good, healthy authority in place, it is a blessing for the people. It is a cause for joy. Can you hear that optimism? Second proverb, same kind of one. When the righteous triumph, there is great glory. Whoa. But when the wicked rise, people hide themselves. Okay, so this is the same idea. It's just said a little bit differently. The proverb is not, if we could just have no one in authority, no government, no leaders that we have to submit to, then it would be a glorious land. That's not the proverb. The proverb is, when the righteous triumph, ascend to the throne of king or win the election and begin to govern us, when the righteous are leading a people in that way, there is great glory in that. Can you hear that mitigating against that attitude that it's just a necessary evil and nothing more? There is glory when civil authority is wielded well. It's a good thing. King David says the same thing to us. Hear this one with me. Same kind of refrain. It's a poem that Brent read before to begin the service. Some of his very last words. He says, when inspired by the Spirit, God says through David, explicitly in that text, when one rules justly over men, ruling in the fear of God, he dawns on them like the morning light like the sun shining forth on a cloudless day, like rain that makes the grass sprout from the earth. Can you hear the optimism here about God's grace in giving civil authorities to govern us? What's the image that he's using? The sun. That makes sense, right? The creation story, God gave the sun and the moon to rule the day and the night, exalted up above the people. When a ruler is exalted like that, he's like the sun, but not just that he's up high, that he brings great benefits to the people just like the sun does. So there is a glory to it, like a beautifully, perfectly blue sky day. There is a weight to it. There is a majesty to it. There is sun that comes at the dawn to lead people out of darkness, right? David ascended to the throne after the chaos of Saul's reign and led the people into right covenantal worship before God. A good ruler lifted up like the sun lights the way for the people and enables the grass to flourish and to spring up. In other words, what? Like the sun is necessary for a garden to flourish, David says that a a good ruler, civil authority that God gives, 
He enables the people to flourish, to have life, safety, and health. That rather than the folly of any governor is holding the people down and is necessarily bad for us, David says a good governor is helpful and good and a gift of God for the governing of the people who are under him. David would say to go this way into this folly of getting rid of government would be the same kind of thing as what? Blotting out the sun. Only a fool would blot out the sun. Only a fool would not want the rains to come. Only a fool would miss the glory of a beautifully blue-skied day. It's a plea to be left in darkness to say, I do not want civil authority in my life. Older covenant themes, we hear the same refrain in the New Testament, the New Covenant. Uh, The clear statement that we have is the text that Brent read before. Hear this with me again. Three places of Bible for you guys. Romans 13.1. Let every person be subject to the governing authorities. For there is no authority except from God. And those that exist have been instituted by God. Whoa. Therefore, whoever resists the authorities resists what God has appointed. And those who resist will incur judgment. For rulers are not a terror to good conduct, but to bad. Would you have no fear of the one who is in authority? Don't climb over the fence that says, do not enter, you knucklehead. Oh, no, wait. Then do what is good. And you will receive his approval. For he is God's servant for your good. Okay, some really helpful insights for us here on the goodness of government. Just to mention two of them. First of all, he says that all authority, including civil authority, is given by who? It is given by God. I need the weight of that to hit you this morning. Authority is a reality in our universe. God rules. God reigns. God creates, God sustains, God judges. He is the standard. And not just God the Father, but God the Son, to whom all authority in heaven and on earth has been given. Under God are certain authorities that he has established in the home, husbands and fathers, in the church, elders and deacons, and in the world, civil authorities. God's idea. Kings and princes and, what was it, lords and nobles in our day, Presidents, senators, congressmen, mayors, counselors, cops, crossing guards, the payroll clerk that makes sure that your taxes are coming out of your paycheck correctly. These were not a mistake. They are not a necessary evil that man came up with. We shouldn't be trying to eradicate them. They were established by God. It's intense. And the second thing is that they were established for our good. God has not given civil authorities to frustrate you, anger you, and torture you. That's not why he gave them to us, to be the bane of our existence until we could get rid of all authority. That is folly. How does he describe the civil authority? He says he, meaning governor, civil authority, is God's servant for your good. He's meant to be a blessing, punishing crime, maintaining freedom, bringing law and order, creating an environment where you can thrive, respecting private property, 
ideally doing everything he can in a society to create room then for the gospel of Jesus' eternal kingdom to do its work. Be a place where you can read your Bible and gather for word and sacrament. Make disciples. Raise your family. A righteous civil authority was given to us for these helpful purposes. To belittle it and disdain it is to misunderstand why it exists. Okay, now I will grant you that civil authority does not always conduct itself in righteous ways. You guys feeling that? Well, the last three of our speakers of the house all went out in handcuffs. Is that the run that we're on right now? We're shooting for four now. And all the other corruption that we see and have seen in tyrants, totalitarian governments, Saul, the guys that followed up Solomon. I grant you that. Solomon grants you that. The second part of the first proverb was what? Hey, when the wicked rule, the people mourn and groan. The second part of the second proverb was what? When the wicked rise up, people run for the hills and hide themselves. This is why Solomon would say later in the Proverbs, a wise king winnows the wicked. You know what winnowing is? I had to look this up. So you blow on something wicked hard like green and it blows the chaff away so you can hang on to what's good. A wise king blows away the wicked from his court, from influence on him. And then even more intense, he drives the wheel over them. Solomon understands that government is supposed to be holy and it can be corrupt. King David as well. He suffered under Saul's terrible leadership. Ten years he ran away from civil authority just to survive. And yet he did not hesitate, did he, to give us those words before about the gift that a ruler can be to his people. And then if anyone knew that a civil authority could be corrupt, it was the Apostle Paul writing to who? The people in the city of Rome governed by so much corruption in the Roman Empire. And he says, rulers are supposed to be a terror to what's bad and a support to what's good. I grant you that. But what I want you to hear is this. None of these guys would say that just because government can be wicked and just because government is not perfect, that does not give us the right to belittle it or despise it or want to throw off all government. David knew tyranny. Paul knew tyranny. But they were both still able to say to their people, under the inspiration of God's Spirit, at its core, governing authority is a good thing in your life. And they're right. This is why the most common imperative in the Scriptures when civil authority is mentioned is the word honor. That's why I did that with our kids this morning. Our response to any semblance of government, and especially government that's doing a good job, is to be thankful, to gladly submit to it, to give honor to those that God has put in authority over you. So if the police officer was here today, he's not here. And I caught up with him after this preaching prep and this text and this truth, I would look him in the eye and I would apologize and I would repent and I would say, I acted like a fool. Um, Even if I can make an argument that you should let us climb on dirt piles which I probably could for the future healthy masculinity of greater Boston, let people climb on dirt piles, even though I would fight for that legislation or the removal of the legislation that didn't want to let us do it. 
what? I would tell him, Solomon, in his wisdom, and God, by his spirit, is correcting my heart. I'm sorry. I treated your civil authority in that moment with disdain and disrespect. If you would have known what was going through my head and my heart, and my demeanor toward you was total folly. I was wrong. Solomon has taught me, you are keeping law and order for me. I should rejoice and be thanked. Give you a hug next time. David has told me that this existence is like a son in which I can do my call, love my wife, raise my kids. Paul has taught me to be in subjection to the rulers that God has given to me for my good. I should have honored that man instead of being a punk in my heart about it. Final thought, and it's a good one that ties together this whole, gospel, this whole thing with the gospel, and I hope drives a final stake in anybody that would be sporting an anarchy t-shirt or having a huge attitude about government in your life. Big question. What is the ultimate ground of our giving honor to civil authority? What is the ultimate aim of that obedience that we render now? It is our love and our trust for Jesus. Don't miss that. Why did God set it up this way with all of these authorities in our lives? The answer is not only for our good now, although I hope I have made that point clearly in your soul today. He did. But God, in his grace, set it up this way because he is getting us ready for an eternity of honoring and submitting to and living under the perfect authority of Jesus. And I I need you to feel that. That means that we get to look through our governors here toward Jesus. What's one of the central images of John's revelation of vision of what he saw in the in the book of revelation it is jesus in authority sitting on a throne 40 times 40 times he mentions the fact that jesus was on his throne that vision is what i need you to carry from here into song and into your life that vision that the final end of all of our obeying and all of our submitting And all of our honoring authority now is pointed to that man and that throne. That our obedience now is a sign that our hearts are anxious and getting ready to render obedience to Jesus forever. That when we express thanks now, when we show respect now, when we submit at every point that we can to our earthly authorities now, you're doing it in reverence for Jesus. If you can get that vision, it will give you hope in submitting to the frustrating and fallen and jacked up authorities that you live under in this country and in this state, won't it? You can gladly submit now as a believer because you know it is not always going to be this way. And we will one day be governed with perfect justice. Like Solomon says, Jesus is the righteous one who will triumph, who will increase forever 
And when he does, we will rejoice. You feel that? Like David says, Jesus is the just one who will be the sun. We won't even need lights in eternity because Jesus will be lighting the whole place up. And under his reign, we will be like the grass of the field, forever bright green. We will flourish because Jesus will be on his throne. And like Paul says, Jesus will be the sword-wielding one. Only John's vision is not Jesus holding a sword, but the sword coming right out of his mouth. And he is going to, with that sword, winnow, blow away the wicked. And heaven and earth will be united, and sin and sinners will be no more, and we will thrive under his righteous authority forever. You feel that? How do we know that that day is going to be glorious? How do we know that it's going to just be so great for our souls and our resurrected bodies and our lives? How do we know it? Because God has given us a glimpse of it now with earthly rulers. Have you ever seen a home where a father was just killing it, giving up his life for his wife, loving his children? Have you ever seen the rejoicing and the joy and the health and the flourishing in that home? Why has God given you that? It's a glimpse of Jesus. Wives and sons and daughters should gladly follow the lead of and honor and respect husbands in homes because it's a glimpse of what Jesus will do forever. Have you ever been a part of a church where the pastors were just killing it? I mean, humble men laying down their life with courage for the sheep, leading them, caring for them, enabling their souls to flourish. Have you ever been a part of a church like that? Those people rejoice. Those people are healthy. Those people have joy in their souls. Why has God given us his church with authority? It's to give us a glimpse of Jesus and what it will be like when he leads us forever. And have you ever been a part of a polis or a political life or a city or read about one where the governors were righteous and just and winnowed the wicked and were a terror to the ungodly and created the space for the gospel to thrive? When you've seen that in your history books or in good experiences that you have had with government, what is that supposed to be giving you a vision of? a glimpse of Jesus who will govern you sort of like that, only infinitely better. The gospel is the ground of your honor of civil authority in this life. If you lack that respect, you need to repent. If you are embracing this folly of disdaining and belittling all government, you need to repent. You need to believe the gospel that God in his grace has given you those authorities, even if they're not perfect, and your submission and honor to them drives right through them and ultimately to Jesus. If you cannot honor your father, if you cannot honor your pastors, if you cannot honor your civil authorities, don't pretend that you can honor Jesus. But if you will have a soft heart that respects and submits to these authorities now, you are showing that the gospel has changed you and you are readying yourself for a life forever under the perfect, perfect governance of Jesus. Let's pray for that.
Jesus, we want to shout when we think that the government will be upon your shoulders. Oh, that is a fantastic idea to us, Jesus. I pray that you would convince us that in your grace you have given us rulers now so we can get a glimpse of the joy that it's going to be to be shepherded and ruled and led well by you. And I do pray that Seven Mile Road would not be a place that makes government God, nor would we be a place that belittles and spits at and taunts and despises civil authority. But we would be a place that is so filled up with love and respect and awe and admiration and wondering at Jesus, our King, that we would gladly give respect to the civil authorities that he has given to us for our good. You need to forgive me for my attitude and my sin. You need to forgive us. You need to make this place a place that lives now in light of eternity. A bunch of people who obey authority, honor it, because we will one day be governed perfectly by the one who gave his life for us and sits upon a throne and winnows the wicked and loves us and is all glorious and all majestic, King Jesus. As we come now to Jesus' table, your response.